Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Well, welcome back to Fearless. Today, we're going to talk about family, raising children. We're going to talk about marriage, even talk about Larry the Cucumber and the word deconstruction. What does that really mean and how to live a fearless life? And that's because we have a couple who is a relentless defender of truth, and that is John and Corey Cooper of Skillet. They are married. I would call them like the rock star it couple. Maybe that's just me. I'm sure I call y'all like the rock star (laughs) it couple. But we're so honored. Y'all have been sweet friends of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association for years. So thank you for being here. Welcome back to Fearless. Great to be back. Good to see you again. So I've interviewed with you, but Corey has it. So uh, not not as much my thing, but I'm I'm happy to be here. Honored you would have me. So I am so grateful because you know what? I this might sound a little bit stalkerish, but I've watched from afar for so many years, and even behind the scenes, behind the stage. I just I remember watching the two of you and just saying there's just something different about them. You know, a lot of bands come and go, but I often share the story. I remember my dad was giving the gospel one day on the stage, and you two were back there actually praying while he's giving the gospel, where so many go back to their own um, buses, and that's fine, that's okay. But y'all were just there. You were there to share the gospel. And I saw y'all mentoring, especially Corey, mentoring to younger, um, younger girls that were also sharing the stage with, and I just— I just have always admired that in you, Corey. So I'm thankful that you joined me today. Well, thank thank you for having me. <clears throat> yes. Speaking of being married, y'all just celebrated a big anniversary, didn't you? I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. 25 years. <laughs> and we still like each other, so that's good. <laughs> well, thank 25 y'all. years. It, yeah, that's crazy. Y'all are off to a good start, I guess. 25 years. I think the next 25 might be <laughs> easy breezy after that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we've we've been on the road the whole time, you know. So this is twenty uh, our twenty sixth year of of Skillet, and uh, we just celebrated twenty five years. So we've been on the road the whole time. We raised our kids on the road, which is something we never really wanted to do. We never. Well, I was just say wanted. We never thought we would do is yeah, a better wasn't way the to plan. say it. It wasn't Yeah, we the thought plan. well, Skillet probably won't last very long, so we'll we'll wait and have kids <laughs> to Go work. do some youth ministry <laughs> yeah. and have some kids. But, you know, yeah, but it was skillet never stopped. It was weird. So, you know, you know, somebody said the other night, they said this. They said to me and Corey said, we're praying for another 25 years. And I said, well, Corey might want you to only pray for another 10 years (laughs) anyway. So but it's been a great run. Oh, well, like I said, so many have watched y'all from afar and we're so appreciative. And before we get into all the hard subjects, the subjects you've been tackling, John, and we're going to talk about your new album, Skillet's new album, Dominion. I want to talk, let's talk about marriage, for instance, because marriage is hard. It's one of the hardest commitments we will ever make. Um, you, you two might make it look a little easier, but there's got to be times, come on, you you go to work every day together. Um, how do y'all make that work, working together? What are some lessons you've learned along the way that the Lord's taught you? How do you make that work? <laughs> I know, there's first. no it's special right. secret. There's no it's formula. Right. <laughs> do you see her pointing her finger at me and sa- telling me to answer right? Don't mess it up. I feel like I'm I'm on the line here. I feel like if, if I don't get this right, there's going to be consequences. Um, uh, you know, to be fair, I think that Corey has always been 
much better at this than I have been. Um, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm hard to be with. I talk all <laughs> the time and uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a lot to be around. Corey's an introvert. She's fine to not talk a lot. She's fine to, to do her thing. And I'm always, ah, so I, I you know, I, I, it, it has its moments where it's been really difficult, especially when your kids were young. I mean, one of the things that I always try to encourage people when I meet them, if they're, if they're just having kids or, or if they're going to be having a child soon and they say, man, what's the secret? I mean, I always say, you got to get ready. Having kids is really hard and then you don't sleep. And when you don't sleep, I mean, you're just so prone to having the worst attitude ever. You say stupid stuff that you don't mean. You you have no filter because you're so tired. And then uh, for me personally, my 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 overall outlook on the whole world is like like nothing's ever going to be okay again because I haven't <laughs> slept in a year and I'm so tired. I can't think straight. And that's when I notice with friends of mine when their marriages aren't really going well. But it's really not because you don't love each other. It's because you're so tired. So go take a nap, everybody. That's a good tip. So, um, you know, yeah, take a nap. I mean, you're just really, you know, really tired. So for me, I think that one of the th- best things that I learned, and uh, and I will say Corey's always been really good at this, and I haven't been, to be frank, uh, but, 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 but I have been for years and years now. I don't know when it changed. But just, re- just re- realizing that life in a marriage is not about fulfilling everybody's deepest desires mm-hmm. and deepest wishes. You know, I'm going to get married and my wife is going to fulfill me. She completes me. It's going to be the best thing in the whole universe. Yeah. Nobody can do that. You know, um, there's a quote from a, a preacher that I love. Nobody would ever know who he was. He, he came to my youth group as a kid. His name is Dave Busby. He's dead now. Uh, and I remember him coming to my youth group as a kid. And, and he said that his wife said, to him, <laughs> this is a great quote. His wife said to him one time, when he, he he said he had been ministering, he came home, he was exhausted. He said, I was just pulling on my wife, pulling on my wife. I was needy. And then after about three days, he said, my wife looked at me and she said, Dave, God didn't create wives to fill up empty husbands. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it's the that's the best marriage advice mm-hmm. I've ever heard. So I was like, Corey's always been quite good at that. I had not been good at that. And then realizing, okay. My role is to serve my wife and to, to, to serve her like Christ loves, you know, serves the church and loves the church, protect her and serve her. It's not about the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I found is the more my attitude was not in what can I get from her, mm-hmm. but how can I serve her and protect her and love her as Christ loves the church. All of a sudden, marriage just worked. I don't know why. We didn't have <laughs> arguments. Things were fine. And all of a sudden, everything was really great. It wasn't about her. It was about me. And that's the best thing that I could say. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's expectations. You know, like in America, we have this idea of sort of romanticized love where it's, uh, you know, your soulmate and everything's going to be amazing once you meet that person. And I think the great thing about marriage is that it's a choice. Like I chose to marry him, right? So we all want unconditional love. I don't know why either. We all want unconditional love, but we want it for ourselves, not necessarily from ourselves, (laughs) if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, and this is the best place for the work of sanctification in your life right here. The sharpening of two lives, you know, the two becoming one, serving Christ together. All your junk's going to come out 
and all of his junk's going to come out because you're so intimately relating to one another. And what we're called to do as Christians is deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, follow him, right? My only right is to love him how I'm supposed to love him, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which is impossible unless God does a miracle in me. But that's the miracle of Christ's life in you now. You're a new creation. He is sanctifying you through the Holy Spirit, empowering you to live how you're supposed to live. And how that really practically outworks day to day is in your marriage, you know? So I, my only right is to love him how I'm supposed to, to serve him. And then the level of vulnerability that you have and communicating the things you need to communicate, not assuming the things you shouldn't assume, just kind of like hashing it out is you daily kind of becoming more like Christ, even though it feels like it's taking all the glamour out of love, because it is amazing to be loved and to love in this way, but it's also kind of miraculous. And so you you really have to lean on the power of God in your life just to live the way you're supposed to live every day anyways. And this just brings out mm. some of your best and some of your worst, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Corey, I'd heard you once say in an, um, an interview a while back, and you, you talked about submission. And I think that is a really like in our generation, an ugly word, you know, submission mm-hmm. to a heavenly father, submission to our, our spouse. What is a, what do you, um, is a healthy biblical view of submission in a marriage? This is such a, uh, it's so countercultural, <laughs> which, you know, typically a lot of biblical things are countercultural because culture is running on its own thing. And, you know, God has his ways and his ways often are just the opposite of the ways of the world. Right. So to even say submission as a woman, is like as you're saying, it's kind of like a dirty word, you know. But in within God's design, there is structure and there's hierarchy and there are levels of authority. And in our society, we just don't like authority literally at all. We want to just throw it all off. We want to be autonomous. We want to be sovereign over everything. And that's just the opposite of the ways of God, right? And when you when you live within God's design, you will thrive and you will live in the blessing of being obedient to God's design. And so I think because just because we've seen the extremes and abuses of what submission can look like or what, you know, uh, giving you like there's a leader and there's you under the leader. If the leader is abusive, we don't throw away the idea of leadership, right? When you're running a company, there's a hierarchy of order and it helps bring order. And our command is to rule and subdue the earth, right? God created man, he created woman. He created her for him to be a helpmate because he needed her. So you have within God's design is the beauty of his need for her, her submission to him and helping him with the two of them shining the glory of God in the earth through the ways of God and through God's design. So to to look at submission as something negative, it's actually something empowering. Mm -hmm. It's just that obviously we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The man is supposed to serve the woman as Christ serves the church, the bride. And look at how Christ served the bride. He gave his life up for her. So it's like a mutual love, but there is an order. And to deny the order is to deny God's design and is to come outside of God's design. So uh, for me, it just seems like obvious. Okay, this is where I am. He's the head of our family, and that is God's authority within the family. And I'm not going to usurp God's authority within the family structure. But within that, He lets me thrive in all my strengths. You know, we, we might butt heads about 
lots of things or songwriting. He doesn't like my idea. So within a marriage, you have to be like, oh, that kind of hurts my feelings as a wife, but we're business partners. So whatever. And ultimately Mm. I'll push for my ideas. He'll listen to me, but ultimately it's his decision overall. And I'm totally, I actually feel safe within that. I feel safe to push when I think maybe he's doing it wrong, but then I also feel great about, okay, he's got to make decision. It's actually on him to do it. And he'll answer for the Lord for the decisions he makes for our family. And I want, so I want him to be able to make the best decisions he can, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I, I would like to jump in that because on a, on a larger scale, I think sometimes as Christians, even when we, we love God, we love the Bible, we want to obey God. Sometimes we think that the, the, I mean, the point is obedience, of course, but we sometimes think that that's the only point. And what I mean by that is that, uh, when we obey God, it's not just that we're being obedient, which is, of course, is wonderful. Trust and obey. That's basic Christianity. You'll never outgrow it. But what you actually find is that you're obeying something because God says that it's good. Yeah. It's not like drudgery or slavery. Yeah. It's actually, uh, the obedience is good. Yeah. But, but beyond the obedience, it's actually because God says this is actually good. And when you're it, when you begin to see biblically that is good, mm-hmm. then you live in the fruit of that. And so, you know, I yeah. think the, the, this idea of submission, you know, sometimes people maybe get it wrong or this, or they go, okay, I'm submitting because it's obedience. It's, it's too bad that it's this way, but that's what the Bible says. But in reality, we see Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. It's not like Jesus was like, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it out of obedience. But, you know, he did say, hey, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But, you know what I mean? Uh, But but if, if, what what do you want to say? But not my will, but your will be done. That's what Jesus said. So he is asking the Father, but but then he goes, but, you know, but basically, but if it is your will, then I want to do it because that's what's good. Mm-hmm. It's not just obedience. It's actually good. And so I would tie this for anybody that's listening who might struggle with this idea. I would just say on a theological level, you may want to consider tying it to doing some reading on uh, the theological concept of the eternal submission of the son. Uh, that would be from theologians like Wayne Grudem. Uh, I believe John Piper as well. And the idea being that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, not just on earth, but but in all eternity, uh, that Jesus submits to the will of the Father. Obviously, God is one, the triune God. That's a whole mystery that I am not. <laughs> Corey would be better at talking about that than me, and neither one of us probably should. But, but, but in reality, there's something really beautiful about that. Not everybody agrees with that, but it might be worth checking out. You might just find the beauty of a God that says, no, no, and the, the triune God is, is, they, is all equal, right? It's not like Jesus is less than the Father or the Holy Spirit is less than Jesus. No, no. God is one. And all of the, I guess, if you want to say uh, the persons of the Trinity are all absolutely one, but also within themselves have different different roles. And we still see the will of God um, most often coming from the mind of the Father and, and this and the other. I, I actually think it's a really beautiful piece of theology that I don't fully understand, but it might be worth checking out. Well, and I just asked a pretty hard question and y'all went to church. Y'all just were preaching and you often say, I would say not just rock stars, you two are deep theologians. And, uh, you know, I know, John, in the last few years, you've taken on these hard things, but you've often mentioned, you know, my wife, Corey, sitting here with me, or she's always in the corner listening to you as you're doing um, one of your podcasts. And it's just evident as a team that you you two have been called together. And when I often tell couples, if 
God has called your husband. He's called you as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been wonderful to see that in the two of you. But let's talk about uh, really quickly before we get into uh, dominion and stuff, raising your children, because I don't know if people realize you have two children. They're grown now, older teenagers, correct? How old are you? Mm-hmm. You got two children. How old are they now? 19 and 16. Uh, my Our daughter is 19. Crazy. My son's 16. He's learning how to drive, which is uh, dangerous. a terror. <laughs> I mean, really, I don't know. He hasn't way. even taken him yet. No, like, yeah. he, he's not ready for you. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my I'll, goodness. I'll this. <laughs> I remember a couple years ago, I was like tracking with you and just on social media and watching things you post. You posted something about your son, and it was so long ago, there's no way I'd be able to find it now, but... You posted something he had written in school, mm. and it was about his faith or God. And I'm like, wow, that comes from like a rock star's kid. Like, they must <laughs> be doing something right if he's writing that at school. But with the world that we're in right now, and like your kids were on tour with you, and I don't think people realize these aren't just like the fun little Christian tours. Y'all were on <laughs> some like worldly tours. How did you keep your children in that world, a part of the world, loving those around you? Um, but not of it. How did you teach that to your kids on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, you know, I will let Corey take the bulk of this, but, you know, speaking of my son, he just turned in in his school paper he had to write. He's 16, and he wrote a paper on um, the harm of of pornography, the harm that it does to people, the harm that it does to your brain, why it's an evil in society. (laughs) He's just wicked smart, this kid, and he's always had a— a deep understanding of philosophical concepts. He's quite good with theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will always say that I will answer very quickly, but, but part, part of the answer really is that Corey just did an amazing job with our kids, honestly. And I always say this in interviews. I always say a lot of the things that I am the mouthpiece of, certainly, uh, Corey was into these things before I was into these things. Um, but with our kids, you know, I think the best thing we ever did, and I got, we got this um, advice from our pastor. The best thing we ever did was we began to worship at home with our kids. And, hmm. you know, it, we would turn on a worship CD or a DVD, or we'd play an acoustic guitar. And we would say, today, this would be a daily thing or a, a every other day thing, multiple times a week. We'd say, we're going to worship Jesus for 10 minutes. And we would sing songs together. I, we would disallow them to to... Play or call play with their toys while we while mom and dad were worshiping God. We say no. You put your toys mm. down. You put your crayons down because this this is we need to honor God with this time. And then so if we were doing a DVD, we they would be worshiping or whatever. And I would pause the DVD and I would explain to my kids what this song means. Do you know what this song means to say that we adore God? You know, one of my favorite mm. stories is that I I remember explaining to my daughter what it meant to adore to adore God. Remember this? You, you, some people listening might remember, uh, Jesus, I adore you. It's an yeah, older worship song. Old Kicking that out old you. Really old. So I'm like, well, I know what you're know? talking about, but I'm not going to join in because I can't carry a tune, but <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, um, so that's an old one, but I can explain to my daughter, this is what it means to adore God. Mm. And I, she had these little Care Bear toys. They were like little figurines this big and they, she had all the colors and she would line them all up. And one time she lost the pink one. And I'm telling you, like, 
all of heaven and earth stopped <laughs> because she lost the pink Care Bear and she was freaking out. And I was explaining to her one time, this is what it means to adore something. You, you adore your Care Bears. They're like your favorite thing in the whole world. And you lost the pink one. You still have yellow, blue, green, and you still have all the other ones, but you lost the pink one and you need it, right? You know, I was explaining to her, that's what it means to adore something. We are called mm-hmm. to adore Christ more than you adore that pink care bear. <laughs> I'm called to adore Christ more than I love you as my daughter, which is is a crazy thought. And you can see her eyes getting big like this. So in other words, we adore Jesus to such a supreme level that nothing else takes that place. And so we worship God. And at the end, I'd say, we're all going to pray. And I would make my kids pray. And I'd say, it's your time to pray, Alex. That's her name. And I remember Alex praying, Jesus, I love you more than Care Bears. <laughs> and uh, it was one of, I mean, in reality, one of the deepest things I've ever heard praise. It's one of the most honest, uh, like, adoration worship moments. I love you more than my Care Bears, you know? How many of us can say that when we worship God? God, I love you more than I care about my marriage. I love you more than I care about the bills I have to pay. I love you more then I want this COVID thing to go away in the name of Jesus forever. I I care about you more than I care about politics. How many of us grow out of that childlike worship? Mm. So anyway, I just talked for a really long time. After I said I wasn't going to talk for a oh, long no, time. Oh, you, no, you're, you're good at the talking. Uh, and if people ever watch Cooper stuff, they would know that John can take um, really complicated <laughs> concepts and bring them down to like something simple to where you can understand them. And he was great at, as he just mentioned, mm-hmm. doing that with our kids. So, and as far as I was concerned, I didn't really have the rebellious phase, but, you know, I kind of watched that happen with people who I really respected and their kids were kind of wild. Even in the Bible, you see it with people like David and, you know, kind of throughout, you see really great saints who somehow they didn't manage to pass it on to the next generation. That always stuck out to me as a young person. Mm. So I thought, well, maybe we're, we're not going to have kids. That's what we thought at first. Like God, we felt that God had called us to do this music thing and we wanted to be fair to children. And if, if we can't really focus on, you know, them, then maybe we won't have kids. And then fast forwarding to John having dreams while we were on the road, which was very unusual. He kept dreaming that we had a kid. And so long story short, in the end, it was like, okay, it's clearly the Lord doing this. So, you know, we had Alex. Um, and then one thing I've always thought is like, you know, God doesn't um, wait till you're smart enough to relate to you because uh, you're never going to be near. He's God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As smart, he's all wise. He's he's all the stuff. And we're even as old as you are, as learned as you are, as intellectual as you are, you're never going to even come close to really grasping even his love, let alone anything else. So I've always thought, look, you know, our, my kids need to taste him. They need to know him. Mm. And he can make himself known to me where I'm at in the ways that I can think and my level of understanding. He surely can make himself known to little babies as well. So, you know, I think a lot of parents just wait until they think their kids can understand stuff. I'm like, I'm not waiting because God can relate to them right now where they're at. So even when my kids are little and we're in a worship time with them, my son's a baby. And when you can feel the presence of God move, he starts hugging. It's like he's responding to something he's feeling. So there's that. And also just getting the Bible in. I mean, their brains are just crazy when they're young. They can, they're like yeah. a sponges that they can understand. So we did a lot of Bible memory verses. We had the consistency of mm. praying together every night. So even in our schedule, which is crazy, rock tours, 
you know, seeing things that are out there like, all right, let's shelter them from, all right, we're all in the bus by 5 p.m. tonight because it's a crazy one out there or whatever that might be. But then not like sheltering them from the people. We'd go into catering and my daughter would walk up to scary rock stars who are going through stuff. And she's five years old and she's like, hey, hi, Sean. I prayed for you last night. You know, so the kids are disarming people with the genuine care that, you know, mm-hmm. us, we can't necessarily go in that fast on a tour because, well, they know you're Christian. It's a rock tour. They know, they think you're going to preach at them and judge them, blah, blah, blah. The kids go up to them, like, we prayed for you last night, like disarming them. So that was kind of my kids' upbringing is like the consistency of the schedule that we had with like, we pray together before we go to sleep. We talk about the Lord. We talk about, hey, that was really encouraging. <laughs> you know, pointing out when I can see God really using them or touching them, pointing that out, defining that for them. So they're realizing like, wow, God is really active in your kids' lives. You just, they just might not know that's what it is. So even pointing those things out to them, you know. Good. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. what you said. Don't wait. Don't wait to Don't talk wait. to your kids about these things like this. And um, it's funny you were talking about praise and worship because just recently I told you we just moved into 900 square feet. I don't have speakers. We're not a musically talented family here. And that makes me sad that my children don't have music in their home. And <laughs> um, so I just bought a speaker and my husband's like, he's um, very tight with his money. He says, why are you buying a speaker? We got a TV speaker. I said, no, because I want to do praise and worship with my children. And whether I'm cooking for dinner and stuff, but we kind of have songs that we play every day on the way to school. I will say Skillet, I don't, it's probably not one of your most famous songs, but Skillet's Lions is one of our, um, isn't that right? That's the name of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My kids love that one. And that's one of their ones that they choose to listen to on the way to school. Awesome. I love that. Anyways, that's what we're praising worship. That's one of the songs. But um, let's go. We're going to change um, a little bit of course here. I was just with Elisa Childers, a friend of yours. She was with us at Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And we're sitting down to lunch. And I just, a colleague said, you know, what's been the hardest thing as you've taken this new journey and this face? And she goes, well, she goes, the criticism sometimes, it's not, it doesn't always bother me, but I never thought I would be attacked by Larry the Cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for those who don't know the backstory of that, Phil Vischer, who was a creator of Veggie Tales, mm-hmm. has a podcast, and he and his guest on the podcast disagreed with John's words about deconstruction and Elisa Childers' definition of deconstruction. Yes. So um, anyways, in this time of your career, did you ever think you'd be arguing or debating against Larry the Cucumber? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the truth is, is that, I mean, it wasn't just Larry. It was um, an incredible amount of pushback from the theological world, from, from sometimes we call it the big evil world, you know, the people who write the think pieces. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not hating on any of them. I mean, that mm-hmm. to me, it's, it, it's good. You know, we, let's have a debate. Let's have a theological debate. To answer your question, I never thought anybody no, I never thought I'd be in a th- any theological debate. I'm a rock star. Well, let, a- <laughs> let me back up really quick. You, the the comment I should have clarified what they were talking about on their podcast. You had made a comment at a concert, I believe. Yes. Um, about um declaring war against deconstruction, and so for those really quick before we go into that, and we've talked about deconstruction, or I have here on Fearless before, so my audience is pretty aware. But if somebody's new here listening, really quick, when you're talking, when John Cooper's talking about the word deconstruction, let's define the terms. What do you mean by that? 
Well, let's say the short version uh, and, and what I had actually said that caused a lot of controversy was taken out of context a little bit. My larger context was this super short version. I was saying to a crowd of people that are young people, teenagers, that they are being lied to every day. They're being lied to by Hollywood, by social media, by propaganda on whatever media station that they're watching, they're being lied to, um, by influencers, by their college professors. And I said, there's another group of people that are also lying to them. They are a group of people who were formerly Christians, they, they say, deconstructed their faith, deconverted from Christianity, and now they spend all of their time attacking Christianity on social media, trying to sow doubt into Christians about the veracity of the Bible. Bible. Well, was it really written by who they said it was? Was it really written in the years they said it was? And they try to break down the tenets of the faith. And it is an active, they are actively trying to recruit from Christianity into a either a an atheist deconverted Christianity or a form of Christianity that is has deconstructed from core tenets of the faith. And when I say core tenets, I mean things like um, the virgin birth. That Jesus died on, yeah, Jesus died on a cross and he paid an actual penalty for my sin. He paid for my guilt and my, you know, we call that substitutionary atonement or penal substitution. They say, no, you don't need to believe those things. So, so that was the statement that I made. I said, we have to declare war on this deconstruction movement. That's clearly what I was talking about. Some people didn't like it because deconstruction can mean a great many things. It's become a new term. And so just like any terminology, like whether you're talking about things like critical race theory, Marxism, there's all these terms that are thrown out and, and or even Christian nationalism. I mean, I hear that word thrown out so often that I'm like, I don't know what you mean when you say that. It means an incredible plethora of different things. What I'm concerned about is this movement of what I would call deconstruction and, and what I'm really concerned about is that it's very postmodern and what they're basically, what they're basically getting at is the same argument that you saw in the 1990s. It was literary deconstructionism. What they're trying to say is, is that sure, we have a text, but no one can really know what it means. It all depends on your interpretation. So one person can read it and say that means black. One person can read it and say, no, that means white. Someone else can read it and say, no, I think it means gray. It's very postmodern in, in that it doesn't believe in an actual, true, absolute truth and absolute interpretation. And so what you end up having are people that, that none of us uh, over the last thousand years would say, you know, they, they we would look at it and say, well, that, what they're saying is actually not Christianity, but but they, now they want to put up a fight about it. So it has been a very strange time, and what I fear is happening is that within Christianity, in the leaders, I call them the Christian elites. We're talking about the people that do the podcasts or that write the think pieces. They're the theologians that always want to, well, this, well, this, well, this. They always want to hold so much nuance that they don't come out and say something that's true. Because when you come out and say something that's true and you say, no, this is the truth, you get lambasted on social media and your your follow people get mad. You're going to be yelled at. You're not going to be cool. And so now what we but have is- But I would is say a, a lot of these elitists are not standing, they won't say anything direct, right? They will not they say anything direct. They kind of they skirt will, it yeah. around. So that way they don't get attacked on anything because they're not going to stand for any truth because 
doesn't matter the subject. They're never going to give a straight opinion. That's right. And and I see that as one of, we see that as one of the biggest things that is not helping a younger generation of Christians because by not ever taking a side on anything, then, then a younger Christian's really do think that truth is sort of relative. Mm-hmm. So it, it relativistic, mm-hmm. you would say. So almost like, well, it doesn't uber matter if you agree that Jesus literally rose from the dead. You know, that's what they would say because that's what they've been told. But yes, it matters a great deal because if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, why are we wasting our time with a God right. who does not have power over death? I mean, that that— that's that's the whole gospel, and so but but there's a lot of people out there that say stop being divisive. Yeah, yeah, right? it's it's the elevation of like uh, virtue and redefinition of what love is, and so a lot of your lay people in churches they don't necessarily have a depth of what scripture is, but we're inundated in culture with like well it's kind of mean to like they wouldn't call it taking a stand. They would say he's kind of his language is mean, his tone is mean. It doesn't sound loving. You're like, well, it depends on how you define loving. If you're talking about the beauty of a holy God and the atonement, a a sinful person who can't ever relate with him, can't ever come into his presence, God making a way for that to be possible, which is the miracle of the cross and the redemption. But if you're just like, no, God is good and loving, so he would never really punish so there's really not, he just will forgive. Like it's easy for yeah. him to forgive because he's forgiving. I'm like, you're literally not understanding the character of God, what love is. God defines what love is. But we have a culture that doesn't necessarily understand <clears throat> doctrine, let alone, you know, solid Bible theology. And so they're easily swayed into something that, well, he does kind of seem mean because he's taking a stand. You know, it's a little too harsh. They say, they're so divisive. Why are you being so, so divisive? divisive? Yeah, you're, the <laughs> word you use that they did not like is war. You're not allowed yeah. to say war. And my grandfather often said this one time he was um, preaching to a youth group. Another time he shared a message and he was sharing when Jesus called his disciples, it was suffering that he was calling them to. Mm-hmm. And he says, God or Christ does not call us to a playground, but he calls us to a battlefield. Okay. And, okay. um, that's what I've been, you know, my little prayer for my daughter. I've had, we have a common friend, uh, J.W. Clark, um, Bird, J. Bird. Mm-hmm. But his daughter drew a picture for me. I had her draw it when my daughter was born. And it's this princess, but she's a warrior and she's carrying a sword. Mm-hmm. And that has been what I've taught her as a little girl. Like you are in the Lord's army. It's like the little song we sing to our children. You're in the Lord's army. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, we're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but I've been trying to teach my kids, you are in the Lord's army. You will go to battle for truth. And my kids are young. I'm at the early stages of five and eight years old of standing for truth and what that means in this world, that it is going to be divisive. Sometimes I think we as Christians should be these meek, quiet, go along with things. So I'm so appreciative. You know, I grew up with a dad that would always go after tough topics, and I'm very thankful for that. But I'm so grateful for seeing couples like you, to use your platform, to be in the middle of a concert and um, challenge these young kids or young adults, they're not just kids, but young adults to stand for truth, that there is a war out there and that battles for truth. So y'all are awesome. And I'm so, so appreciative, but let's get, we're covering a lot of topics, but I really (laughs) want to talk about the new album Dominion because I've already added a couple of those songs to our playlist of riding in the car with my kids. But 
tell us about Dominion. Where? Tell us, let's start with the name, Dominion. Where did it come from? Well, I'd love to. And, and in fact, I'm going to kind of piggyback off that last question too, because, you know, one of the things about, you just mentioned something that I totally agree with when you said it's the word war that, that, that they're objecting to. But I, I want to say something uh, about that. I don't think it's just the word the word war. I think that th- that's what they are saying. But I think it reveals something else really great, even in the influencer class, even in the think pieces that came out. I think it reveals something. I think not only do they not like the word war, they don't like this feeling of divisiveness. And the, the problem is coming down to at some point, we're going to have to divide on some things. And I think it's revealing that a lot of pastors do not want to divide. In other words, they're think we can't have true biblical unity if we don't agree on certain things, as we've already said, virgin birth, the atonement of Christ, the, the, he, yes, he rose from the dead, hell is real, ethics, morality. There's these, some of these things that we, we absolutely have to have unity in. So I think that it's revealing something quite, you know, I agree with Elisa on the, on the statement she made, like, I, I don't mind people coming after me, but this is getting kind of concerning when you have pastors not willing to lay it on the line and that it's falling to people uh, like Sissy Graham and Cooper stuff and Skillet and Elisa Childers. It's kind of a strange time. So I will say we call this record Dominion. That's all a part of this because you know what? We are singing about war. We are singing about authority. And that's what this, this, I mean, the scripture that, that, uh, that, that we actually say on the song Dominion comes from the book of Daniel. It, it's a prophecy about Jesus. His dominion is an everlasting dominion mm. and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This earth belongs to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He is ruling the earth in the midst of his enemies as we speak. He's in control of, of this earth and he will return to wage war and bring judgment. He will come to judge and separate between friends and enemies. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ is the warrior king. So we're He's seeing- coming back to divide, actually, not to unify, to divide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly right. He's coming to separate. That's mm-hmm. what the word of God says. And so that might not give everybody the feel goods, but that's what the Bible says. So if we still believe in the book, then we have to say it. So this album is a, has a lot of great, con, I think, exciting concepts for the Christian to be excited about the authority of Jesus Christ. This is his dominion. And so when I separate out what I mean by his dominion, he owns the earth, of course, right? But there's also other things. He's given me John and you, Corey, uh, he, and, and Sissy. He's given us areas of authority over our lives. And because of the cross of Christ, I have authority over my body and over my mind because I am not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to death. I am not ruled by fear because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. So I can bring rule and dominion to my mind in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That is great news because we have, I think, a generation of Christians and now I think older, a lot of them are parents now, that, that that don't understand that they actually do have authority in the name of Jesus, not because of them, but because of the cross of Christ and the, and the work of the Spirit. They have dominion over themselves, but I don't think that they've been taught that. I think they think their mind is owned by the devil. Their mind is owned. They're, they're addicted to pornography. Let's just say it. That's the, one of the biggest 
issues in, in millennials because they were, they were raised with uh, phones. They were raised on the internet. All these things were here. Parents didn't understand what it was. And you have a generation that started seeing pornography at age seven and eight, and they are addicted to it and they cannot break free. But I want them to know in the name of Jesus, he has set you free. Mm-hmm. So live a life that is consistent with the work that Christ did on the cross. So these little I'm not saying that's good preaching. Come on, honey, preach in the name of Jesus. (laughs) So I'm not saying that you're going to turn on the record and you're going to go, oh, John is saying everything I just said. Those are the messages. uh, That's why we wrote the songs we wrote. And and, and those are the deeper, you know, deeper messages underneath it, I guess you would say. Is that fair to say? Well, it's definitely an album that's combating culture. This is an album that's combating culture. Yes. That's a better way to say it. I should have said that and stopped. She it's an out. album that's you know what? <laughs> culture, period. I probably heard you say that somewhere. <laughs> I, I doubt it, but thank you. <laughs> you know, young adults pick up your album or they're having a hard time. They're in the world and they're they're dividing right now before we close to take a stand. The stand's going to cost you something. We know that. But what do you say to those, you know, this might come easy for you. It might come easy for me. I had a dad that set that example. It's never been hard for me to take a stand on truth and for biblical scripture. But for those who, your mission fields, wherever it's called you, whether that's a stage performing in front of thousands, whether you're in a classroom, whether you're in a courtroom, you're a CEO or in a boardroom, God has called you for that moment and for that place. And that's your mission field. But for those who are say, do I take a stand? Mm. Do I fear God more than I fear being canceled in my workspace? Do I fear being feared more by cancel culture? What do you say to those people that might be listening? How do you encourage them? Sure. I would say, I'll go first, and then you go. Oh, yeah, go Is that you, all right with you? Yeah, you do your thing. All right. Here's what I would say to everybody. What a fantastic question. Number one, I want everybody to know, besides sissy, <laughs> it is not easy to stand. Uh, uh, and, and I'm kind of joking because you said that, but it's not easy. I don't, I don't know if it's easy for some people. It ain't easy. Second thing I will say to you this that is so very important. Now is the time. Now is the time to stand because we are in a different moment that we were in five years ago. Mm-hmm. It is a different moment that we were in 10 years ago. I would just say this, it's time. Are, are you are you willing to, to, to go for it or not? And it's okay to take small steps. It's okay to, to take small stances. I think that, I don't think there's even such thing as a small stance. I think anything that you can do to, to, to push back a little bit, say, God, what is it that you want me to do? What, what is my line that I just cannot cross, okay? Like, for instance, I know people personally who have different lines for that. I know somebody that said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose my job, but when it came down to them saying that I must put my own pronouns in my work, you know, I, I don't know as my work bio and it's something I must do. He just said, I just couldn't live with that. I just couldn't do that any longer. I know some people that said, Hey, I'm just going to have to play that game for a little longer and see what God, I, I get it. It's a really hard time. I want to encourage people, you know, when you watch a movie like Gladiator, Gladiator was mm. such an awesome movie. You watch Braveheart, or maybe you're, you, you've read a book like uh, The Hiding Place from Corey Ten Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know who Corey Ten Boom mm-hmm. is, she is a, a woman who hit, her family was hiding Jews in her attic. 
and the Nazis were coming around and she was trying to save Jewish lives and she got arrested. Her whole family got arrested. Her father and her sister died in Nazi prison camps. She survived. Um, She's such a hero to the faith. You can watch that movie called The Hiding Place, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association years ago under Worldwide Pictures of My Grandfather. They made a movie of that. Awesome. I'm just plugging it right there, but go you ahead. You should plug it. I, and I have Great. seen that. I remember seeing it. And yes, you should definitely watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, we read these books or we see these films, uh, whether they're true stories like that, whether they're gladiator. All of us have that thing in us, don't we? Like... I want to be that person. I wonder if I would be willing to stand if it really Mm -hmm. counted. I will just encourage people that I will say this, the people that those stories, the heroes in those stories, they were going through the same thing that you're going through. They, They were going, am I being an alarmist? You know, when you read some of these accounts from from the, the these time, Corey Ten Boom time, a lot of these people didn't really know, am I being alarmist? Is this really happening? Is this as evil as it sounds? Are these stories really true? They didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And the, the heroes of these stories had the eyes to see what was going on, and they realized, you know what? I don't care if somebody calls me an alarmist or not. I don't care if they say, you know, John, you're, you're freaking out about something that's really not that big of a deal. Uh, it's time to stand up. Mm-hmm. We are in that time. You may you may lose your job for standing mm-hmm. for for truth and all sorts of various ways. You may be canceled. You may if you make your living online. You know, like like a lot of us do. We make uh, a lot of our money from YouTube hits and this and this and this. We're in that time where we may be getting yanked off of social media for saying the truth about Christ in all sorts of various ways. So I would encourage people, you just need to understand that the times that are here, Mm -hmm. and it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be like, I got to count the cost, but just maybe God is calling you to be one of those heroes in the story. I want to add to that just really quick to clarify, you know, maybe you're listening and you feel like you made the wrong decision, you didn't take a stand, that it is never too late. Mm-hmm. God gives us other chances. And I just want to encourage those or somebody you're listening, you can look at Peter and how Jesus just restored Peter and how grateful I am for that last chapter in John where Jesus restores Peter, mm-hmm. that if you're listening and you're discouraged because you feel like you did not take a stand, um, it is never too, never too late to stand Absolutely. for Jesus. That's right. Thank God for Peter. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm just thankful for that last chapter in John because we all would have been disappointed in Peter. But um, thank you, too. Thank you all for joining. I often turn people to your book, John, Awaken Alive to Truth, as a great resource, especially for teenagers or college students or adults that need kind of like Theology 101. Some of the books um, might scare people away, but I feel like you do a great job of explaining it. So that's a great resource. As we end, as we close, Corey or John, do you have other resources to encourage people in this time? Well, thanks. That's so very nice. I really appreciate the plug. And uh, I'll let you, do you have resources that you would like to plug? Uh, I For uh, moms, um, Mama Bear Apologetics is a great resource. She's got a couple books out and they have, I haven't watched the podcast much, um, but the books are fantastic. They really let you know what's happening in culture and give you a biblical response to those things. So that's super helpful. 
Um, and Lisa dads. Childers. I, I would say dads well, can read that. Those books are great too. for dads as well. Yeah. Go ahead. Lisa, Ali Vastucky, if you, you know, uh, Ali, if you want like current events and to know how to have a biblical response to that kind of stuff. And then also for me, I just read old school stuff. So you're talking about like hiding place. You know, for me, I'm like, I just want an eternal perspective because that helps me be brave. You know, so I'm currently reading um, Richard Wormbrandt. I can't remember what mm-hmm. the name of the book is. Tortured for Christ. Tortured for Christ. Stuff like that is helpful because it helps you understand maybe how easy you have it um, and how hard other people have had it. But God always meets people. You know, it's like the, in the book of Acts, they pray for um, boldness and courage all the time. And they needed it, and we need it. We need a constant, you know, filling the Holy Spirit, boldness and courage. So reading the, some of the older saints is helpful and encouraging for that because they're just people, like you're saying, Peter, they're just people. They mess up, but they also have done really brave, kind of amazing things for the Lord. So I find those things encouraging as well. Wonderful. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, for me, I would just I'm I'm add to one little thing Corey just said. She mentioned Allie Beth Stuckey. It's got a great podcast. Elisa Childers got mm-hmm. a great podcast. One of the things that's great about podcasts is that you can you can decide, I don't understand this subject. Mm-hmm. And so you can look and see, does Mala Bear Apologetics or is Elisa covering it or is Ali Beth covering it? And the reason is, it, just so, in case people are listening and they, they find themselves confused about culture, me too. It's confusing. It wasn't like this 10 years ago. We're at a time where yeah. we kind of need to understand a little bit of social science, critical theory, postmodernism. These ideas are becoming so rampant, not just in the world. And the reason I say that we need to understand them is because those concepts are, are they're, leaving the, they're leaving the secular academy and they are coming into the, into the Christian church. church. Yeah. So now sure. you have pastors saying these same things. That's why the gospel is starting to sound so kind of strange sometimes. So uh, I just want to say all the things Corey said, excellent. And Cooper stuff, because it's well, honestly— I- well, that's nice. I do have a podcast. I, I do try to cover those things. But that's the reason. I, I, I just want Christians to understand if the gospel is starting to sound kind of confusing, it shouldn't be. The gospel is is should be presented just in the way that your family has always presented the gospel, Sissy. Absolutely simple. simple. It is simple because we come in—if we want to come into the kingdom, you have to come in like a little child. And so the gospel mm-hmm. should be understandable yes. for a little child that says, I trust and I obey. Yeah. You're, you're the boss. Yeah. That's it. It should be that simple. Well, you two are awesome. Thank you. I still call y'all the rock star it couple <laughs> in my book, but thank you guys so much for being an example, for being just a relentless defender for truth in every arena that you two enter. And so thank you for setting that example for young couples, for young parents. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you, you. Sissy. So cool to see you again. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Fearless with John and Corey Cooper. Once again, I want to point you to his podcast called Cooper Stuff. Also, I use it as a great resource for many of my friends who have teenagers or children in college. His book, which is called Awake and Alive to Truth. Thank you once again for joining me. I encourage you to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to get caught up on any latest episodes of Fearless, check out my website, sissygramlynch.com. Always helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture.